Hello and welcome to the Culture File Weekly with me, Luke Clancy, with the last of our summer specials for the programme. This time we're tracking the year so far via the epistles of Jennifer Walsh. For non-regulars, Jennifer is a composer and artist who creates our regular feature, Things Know Things, thinking about the ever-shifting border between the things that are human and the things that are not. So here is 2022 so far in Things, which begins in a playground in County Roscommon. Monday, the 10th of January. Biden blames Trump for Capitol riot and warns of threat of autocracy. At home, over the last few weeks, I noticed the kids have developed a new hand gesture, employed effusively on the playground, the sports field and the school bus. This hand gesture is not just local to Roscommon. I personally have seen 10-year-olds doing it as far away as Newtown Forbes. It's gone viral. It's a sort of a strange hand gesture. The kids hold a hand close to their face, dangling it there as if in anticipation of a completely rubbish two-limp handshake. The dancers I know might say that from a physical standpoint, this gesture is in a different performative mode to the standard repertoire of, you know, rude hand gestures we're all familiar with. The hand is sort of listless and vague, rather than punchy and defiant. And what does it mean? Who knows? The kids say it means nothing. The kids hint it might be something unspecifiedly rude, but just as likely the playground omerta is in effect and they're not telling us anything. Finally, one unnamed source gives us our only intel. That this hand gesture is based, curiously enough, on the handshake emoji. Watching new hand gestures emerge is always fun, but the idea of a hand gesture based on an emoji is particularly interesting because, well, emoji already are gestures, or at least pictorial representations of gestures. Linguists Gretchen McCulloch and Lauren Gawne, hosts of the excellent podcast Lingthusiasm, have written about how emojis are a unique form of written language because they substitute for actual physical communication. They function as the gestures, the facial and hand expressions, which our in-person conversations are so rich with. You use a laughing face emoji because it's a way of showing someone what you're doing as you read the message on your phone. You use an eye roll emoji to indicate what your face would actually be doing if you were given the news in person instead of via text. What's fascinating about language is how it evolves 
And this weird physical, virtual, physical dance of a handshake made into an emoji of a handshake, made back into this hand gesture the kids are doing at the back of the school bus. This seems very much of this moment, showing us yet again how blurry the boundaries between our offline and online worlds are and the possibility for play. I think of this as I ask my niece whether she wants pasta for dinner and she turns to me saying, I don't know, very deliberately drawing her elbows into her sides and contorting her hands so that her palms face the ceiling, enacting the shrug emoji with great precision. In that moment, I could almost swear she's wearing a little purple jumper just like the emoji in WhatsApp. Monday 24th of January. Ukraine taking UK claim of Russian invasion plot seriously, says advisor. The name John Deere is one that's familiar to farmers, as well as anyone who has ever been stuck behind a tractor on a country lane. For almost 200 years, the company has been one of the world's foremost manufacturers of agricultural equipment. And recently, they announced that they're bringing out a new, very different type of tractor. The tractor of the future, a completely autonomous, self-driving tractor. John Deere's 8-Or tractor is equipped with six pairs of cameras running through some very advanced AI. The 8-Or can plough fields, it can plant crops, it can make sure not to crash into trees or sheep. Farmers can monitor and direct the 8-Or's progress on their phone, freeing them up to do other jobs. I watched the promotional video for the 8-Or and it's very impressive. A huge tractor driving around a field, carrying out work completely autonomously. The spectacle of the tractor's empty cab is striking, not so much because there's no farmer in it, but because there's no little Jack Russell barking valiantly out the back at you. I wonder if the 8 ore will catch on in Ireland. The tractor might have been trained on loads of data, but come on now, lads, that's in the flat fields of Midwestern America, not the bog hill and stony grey soil of much of Ireland. And more importantly, I think, how can a tractor really know the land? In a sense that Patrick Kavanagh did, in the sense that the farmers around me in Roscommon do. How can a tractor know what history the land contains, what it means? My house in Roscommon is next to a farm which housed a soup kitchen during the famine. People came from miles around up my boreen to eat. Can the AI recognise hungry grass? These are, I must admit, the usual sorts of thoughts. And I enjoy having them because they make me feel close to nature, to culture and history. Like I even know the tiniest thing about farming. But then I go to sleep and my subconscious takes over. I have a vivid dream about autonomous tractors they appear in a nighttime scene, indebted to the wicker man. We're in a field, 
farmers drinking pints look on as legions of eight oars work in tandem, cutting crop circles which look like arcane script before building an occult monument with silage bales. Who exactly is in control here? John Deere? The farmers and their phones? Or have the tractors become sentient and decided to communicate something? Who knows? Only the tractors do. The rest of us will have to find out. Monday 7th of February. Deluge of dog pee and poo harming nature reserve, study suggests. I follow humans on Instagram, but I also follow some animals as well. It's relaxing to check in with what Azuki, the Japanese hedgehog, is doing, watch Nala, the cat, sleeping on a laptop. Animals on Instagram tend to do a lot of the same things humans do. They go for walks, they nap, they eat. But recently, it's emerged that something is happening in the pet influencer world that has never, to my knowledge, happened with any humans on Instagram. Influencers are now cloning their pets so that the animal, or at least their brand, can live on after it dies. Input magazine recently profiled the owner of Willow the Wolf Dog, who was succeeded by his clone Phoenix. Now, cloning pets isn't new. Barbara Streisand famously cloned her dog Samantha back in 2018. The press had a field day with that, but given that Barbara Streisand built a fake street of shops in the basement of her house, a fake street of fully stocked fake shops where she pretends to buy gifts for her friends, as far as I'm concerned, cloning her pet is not the strangest thing she's ever done. Streisand used the American company Viagen to clone Samantha and I must admit that I go to Viagen's website with a cynical mindset. Plenty of dogs and cats in shelters needing homes, etc. A fool and their money, etc. But as I start to read through the client testimonials, I find myself contemplating philosophy, ontology, the notion of what a human or non-human being is. I find myself moved. Viagen clients talk about difficult childhoods, about being moved from foster home to foster home and how their pets, when they found them, became their world. Clients talk about how their pets made them better people, made them feel such deep love, gave them a sense of family. They talk about how devastated they were when their pets died. The clients are fully aware that the clone will never be the same as their original pet. One client in particular, the owner of a cat called Bits, discourses at length about the cloning process, writing about how they understand their pet is not a collection of cells, that she is as much a product of nearly two decades of love and interaction with us and the world around her as she is her DNA. I know you can't clone a soul. Bits's owner goes on to describe how they're undergoing the cloning process because it offers them something unique. The ability 
to intertwine the moments you've cherished so much in a familiar face with a new set of memories that will carry you into the future. And this is what blows me away about humans. Even on a site for cloning pets, we're wrestling with the big questions. Bits's owner describes a new way of interacting with a new type of being in the world. They've thought this through and they're open to this new experience. And given that Microsoft patented technology last year that would reincarnate deceased people as chatbots using material drawn from their social media posts and chat logs, it seems like we're all going to be contemplating these sort of relationships a lot more in the future. Monday 21st of February, France leads fresh efforts to defuse crisis over Ukraine. Any child who grew up in Ireland in the 1980s knows the names of the entities that make up the Holy Trinity. Kimberly, Mikado and Coconut Cream. My mother recently found and threw out a Kimberly promotional toy I'd had as a child back in the early 1980s. It was a rubber head, supposedly the face of Kimberly, an American cowboy with a moustache so thick and unruly it had joined forces with his eyebrows. Kimberly had holes in the back of his face so that you could stick your fingers in and make his mouth move. I spent a lot of time as a small child puppeting Kimberly the cowboy, doing shoddy approximations of his howdy partners American accent. What exactly was I talking to when I talked to Kimberly? The toy? The biscuit? Jacobs? Some triangulation of all three? It was clear to me the experience was different than regular toys. Kimberly the cowboy was a pretty rubbish toy made from cheap, itchy foam, but playing with Kimberly the cowboy was somehow closer to eating an actual Kimberly the biscuit than playing with other toys. One of the most successful ad campaigns of the first year of the pandemic also involved people talking to a biscuit. Except this time, the biscuit was powered by AI rather than a child's hand. The Moon Pie is an American biscuit popular in the South made by Chattanooga Bakery Incorporated. If you've never seen one, it's almost identical to a wagon wheel. In May 2020, Moon Pie launched the Moon Pie Moon Mate, available to anyone who had an Alexa. The Moon Pie Moon Mate was a virtual roommate people could speak to through their Alexa. The Moonmate's personality was designed to be funny and slightly insulting, making wisecracks about your hair or taste in music. And people did indeed speak to the Moon Pie Moonmate. Stuck at home in lockdown, alternating between overwhelming stress and debilitating boredom, people spent huge amounts of time interacting with the Moonmate. And again, I wonder, what were people talking to when they talked to the Moon Pie Moonmate? The Alexa? The Biscuit? 
the Chattanooga Bakery, the advertising company who designed the campaign, the AI, the absurdity of the pandemic? And what exactly did they talk about? And are they still talking to it now? Monday 7th of March, oil spill at sea, who will pay for Peru's worst environmental disaster? The first image I look at is of a man in his 40s. Something about his face says German dentist to me. I don't know why, but I imagine him driving his Audi home somewhere outside Stuttgart. The second image is of a woman also most likely in her 40s. She looks very well, makeup and hair on point. I am thinking she manages a bank, but more than anything, likes yoga retreats in Bali. Why do I assume these things about these people I've never met? Because I'm a human, which means I'm designed to run pattern recognition on anything I see, but my guesses are beside the point. Because neither of these people are real. They're fake humans. The images were created using AI and used by the Russian government in misinformation campaigns on social media during the current appalling war in Ukraine. The images of these fake humans were almost certainly generated using a neural network called StyleGAN, code which was developed by researchers at the tech giant NVIDIA. In order to make an AI which can produce pictures of fake humans, you need a whole lot of pictures of real humans for the network to train on. So the NVIDIA researchers scraped over 70,000 photos off Flickr, the photo-sharing website, to create their training database. 70,000 photos of people of all ages, ethnicities and genders, all of which had been uploaded to Flickr under Creative Commons licences, were fed into StyleGAN to teach it how to make convincing photos of humans which didn't exist. StyleGAN's early efforts were easy to catch. It created images of people with two sets of teeth, an extra ear or earrings growing out of the side of their head. But in the last few years, StyleGAN has gotten very, very good. A couple of weeks ago, researchers from Lancaster University in Berkeley published the results of a study which demonstrated that not only did humans find it difficult to distinguish between pictures of real and fake humans, they also tended to rate pictures of fake humans as appearing to be more quote-unquote trustworthy than those of real humans. The French philosopher Paul Virilio wrote that when you invent the ship, you also invent the shipwreck. The invention of photo-sharing websites, of AI to create fake humans, is also the invention of deepfakes, revenge porn and ever-increasingly sophisticated methods of propaganda. And I think of those 70,000 people out there who posted their pictures to Flickr only to become unknowing participants in the Russian misinformation war. Monday 21st of March 
Ireland in midst of COVID-19 wave, says Varadka. Last week in Tokyo, a very important springtime event took place. No, I'm not talking about the blooming of cherry blossom trees. I'm talking about the 24th edition of the International Robot Exhibition, called IREX for short. Over 600 companies displayed their wares at the exhibition, ranging from industrial robots who will clean up chemical waste, through care home robots who will push the elderly around in wheelchairs, to space robots which will help human settlers pursue life on the moon and beyond. As you might expect, IREX was full of humanoid robots who could pick up boxes, do press-ups, converse with humans and so forth. But the star of the show wasn't a humanoid robot. It was a robotic goat. This goat is made by Kawasaki and it's called Bex. It's modelled after an Ibex, a type of wild mountain goat found in Eurasia and Africa. Bex is pretty fancy looking, clad in white plastic cotton abstract geometric lines with red flashing LEDs running up its neck and horns. Bex can trot on its ball-like feet, just like a mountain goat picking its way across treacherous terrain. Or it can kneel, at which point wheels emerge from its thighs and it can drive around, unlike a mountain goat picking its way across treacherous terrain. You can load Bex up with things to carry or even climb aboard yourself and ride Bex around. Bex wasn't the only robot on display at IREX modelled after an animal. The Japanese robotics firm Keenan debuted their robot T8, a delivery robot which takes the form of a cartoon penguin who can transport your dinner from kitchen to restaurant table. Pet Avatar presented glum-looking robotic cats who mirror each other's movements. I lift my pet avatar's paw to stroke my face, and your pet avatar's paw will simultaneously lift and stroke your face as you stare into its sad eyes, no matter where you are in the world. Impressive, but my money is on Yugai Engineering's emotional support robot, Amagami Ham Ham, a cute little cuddly robot bear which nibbles your fingertip in one of 24 different nibbling styles, all the while making delightful noises. A robot isn't simply a robot. We assign it a gender, an ethnicity, an age, a class. We assign it a species and we decide whether it's a realistic or abstract or cartoon version of that species. Then we act towards a robot in different ways, depending on the characteristics we assign to it. Bex is designed to fulfil a beast-of-burden function, to cart around heavy loads to save humans the trouble. Lots of robots are designed to do this, but seeing a robot modelled after an animal that has traditionally done this sort of work feels different somehow. What would it feel like to work alongside Bex? Would it feel better or worse than working alongside a humanoid robot hauling boxes? Would there be comfort in an ancient practice taking on a digital form however surreal? Or would I want to bring Bex to a mountainside and set it free?
Tuesday, 7th of June, Johnson survives vote, but his authority suffers serious blow. I read a lot, but I've never been much of a person for book clubs. After all, I teach at a university, which is like being forced to run multiple book clubs where you must somehow persuade the participants to write substantial reports, which you then must grade. But... Over the last month, I have surprised myself. I have become a devout member of a very particular, emergent, chaotic book club, Dracula Daily. For those of you who have not read Bram Stoker's 1897 novel Dracula, the book is in epistolary form. It's a nest of diary entries, telegrams and letters which begin on May 3rd and end on November 7th. And since May 3rd of this year, American programmer Matt Kirkland has been sending out a newsletter called Dracula Daily. The newsletter only comes on the days which have an entry in Stoker's novel and consists only of the entry from the book. Who, you might ask, wants to read a novel, and not just any novel, a suspenseful gothic horror novel designed to be a page-turner, in tiny scraps over a seven-month period? Turns out, a lot of people. Over the last month, a huge community has emerged around Dracula Daily, primarily on Tumblr. Literature professors detailing Stoker's exoticization of Eastern Europe. Hungarian historians explaining the local context. Epic discussions on whether Jonathan Harker's quote-unquote queer dreams were a result of the paprika hendel he ate being spicy or not. And yes, I now have the recipe and am more informed about the history of bell pepper varietals than I was a month ago. And then, of course... There are the memes, the jokes, the drawings of the Lucy Mina love story the fandom dreams of. I'm finding Dracula Daily encourages, demands even, a sort of unique close reading. You're reading a novel from 1897 with an eye for what the internet is going to pick up on in 2022. How delighted I was when the line... Once again, I have seen the Count go out in his lizard fashion, resulted in exactly what I hoped for. An amazing drawing of Count Dracula serving fierce looks in a lizard onesie, chunky heels with a bold red lip and reptilian handbag. But what strikes me the most is that using technology to read Dracula in a new way seems oddly appropriate. Stoker didn't just use letters or diary entries to provide the epistolary fodder for his novel. Harker's entries are in shorthand. Lucy is learning to type. Characters send telegrams and dictate their thoughts to phonographs. Back in 1897, Stoker positioned his characters as tech-savvy, modern individuals, all the more to contrast with the ancient supernatural forces they'd need to battle. And here we are. 125 years after the book was published, using technology to once again feel those chills down our collective spines in a new way.
You've been listening to a special edition of the Culture File Weekly featuring Jennifer Walsh's Things Know Things and there'll be a brand new episode of Things Know Things on Monday in Classic Drive as the new season of The Daily Culture File is back on the air at 6.40pm. There'll be a brand new episode of The Culture File Weekly next Saturday at 6.30pm and, as ever, the archive of literally thousands of episodes is available from places such as the Lyric site, Spotify and SoundCloud and you can subscribe to the podcast in all the usual places. Also, why not follow us on Twitter and you'll get a daily tweet with the latest podcast episode. That's at Culture File Pod. Until next week, bye now.